for a complete fire sale, a complete dumping of talented players, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, you had the situation last weekend with, or last Sunday, with Eric Reed and Malcolm Jenkins, which is a topic which obviously we know is a tense topic. We know it's a polarizing topic. And you know, one, once one speaks up about said topic, it, it's going to draw a lot of backlash. No matter what it is you say, there are people, regardless of what side of the spectrum you're on, what side of the spectrum they're on, they're going to come at you maliciously with the intention of trying to discredit what it is you're saying. So there's two ways you can handle it. You can either be like the majority of the people who just say, hey, in a politically correct sense, if you want to avoid an issue, just don't ever talk about it. Or you can man up, use the best words in your best judgment to talk about something that you feel very passionately about. And many people choose the former. Many of the people choose to not speak up. Maybe because they're afraid that their words could be used against them. Maybe they're afraid that they may not say specific things and back the points that they want to back with the best choice of words. And it could be used against them. Well, listen, I'm not afraid about anything that I can say. And I'm willing to say it. First thing I wanted to talk about today is we'll go from a little bit of baseball and then we'll move ourselves on to football. And then the topic which I'm going to put as part of nobody's listening today in, in a little bit. So we'll talk about Eric Reed's comments. We'll talk about the whole anthem protesting thing as it applies to football. We'll talk about $100 million that the National Football League has put aside for this cause and I'm going to ask a bunch of questions, but I'm also going to throw some profound statements in regards to how I feel about this and how there is nobody out there, not me, not anybody else, that is doing enough to, number one, diffuse this situation. And I don't know if it's a situation that should at any point need to be diffused, but rectify it. And rectifying the situation is the big issue. At some point, you want to have enough of a positive response and action that everybody can be as happy as they want to be. And we're far from that. And the reason we're far from that is because few people are trying. And few people care enough about the whole picture as opposed to their individual special interest. So... Like I said, the intention is not to go off about this now. I'm going to wait until the Nobody's Listening segment of the show, which comes a little bit later on in the program. If anybody's interested and wants to call, be part of the show, the number is 732-364-3598. That's 732-364-3598. You could also comment on the Facebook Live feed or the Periscope feed as the program is going live so anything that's on your mind in the world of baseball, sports, and unifying America, I want I want to know what you guys are thinking too. World Series yesterday. A lot of build-up and discussion has been about Clayton Kershaw, the no-doubt Hall of Fame pitcher. He's going into the Hall of Fame. He doesn't have to pitch another game. He doesn't have to win a World Series. He doesn't have to throw another pitch in the major leagues. And the bottom line is... He's going into the Hall of Fame. He has been this generation's Sandy Koufax. He's been 
single-handedly the most dominant pitcher of this generation. But if there is one issue that one may have with Clayton Kershaw and his performance, it's that the bigger the game, the more he seems to become human again. A person that, from a pitching standpoint, almost looks like one of the most dominant in the game. Almost like he has an unfair advantage on the mound. He goes out there, blows his fastball by people. He's got that ridiculous curveball. You know, the slider, the changeup. And it doesn't matter who you are. You could be the best player in baseball coming up to the plate. And if Clayton Kershaw is clicking on all cylinders, you have very little of a chance, if any at all. Now, the postseason comes, and you look at Clayton Kershaw's record, and I've popped them up over the course of the past couple weeks. He had a couple good performances in the league championship series, right? He pitched a very good game five, came up, got the last three outs in game seven, including two strikeouts. But you knew there was going to be a lot riding on what Clayton Kershaw did in game one of the World Series this year. Facing the Boston Red Sox at Boston, I'll tell you this, I love the fact that he was at Fenway Park long before the game, getting himself used to the field. He has never pitched at Fenway Park before. He's never faced the Boston Red Sox before. So he's doing everything he can to get himself prepared for this game. And you know what? That's nothing that you could fault the person for, no matter who it is that you are. But when it comes down to it, he's going to be judged by what happens on the field. And not just the fact that the Boston Red Sox won a game yesterday, but the fact that Clayton Kershaw did not look very good yesterday. Sure, he had some moments where he threw the ball well, but he gave up two runs in the first inning. He ends up giving up five runs before getting in a point where he's anywhere near pitching in the majority of the game. It's going to be something that he's going to have to deal with over a series of years. He's going to have to prove himself on the biggest stage. His performance in the World Series against the Houston Astros last year was not good. You could talk about the couple good moments that he's had this year by throwing the ball well in some postseason games in the National League Championship Series, being maybe the best pitcher on the Los Angeles Dodgers staff. That, that's all good, but he's going to be judged by what happens in the World Series. Likely, assuming the Boston Red Sox don't finish this series off, they don't sweep the Dodgers, win the next three games, obviously, t tonight in Boston, and you're talking about Friday and Saturday in Los Angeles. So maybe Clayton Kershaw doesn't get another chance to pitch in a World Series. So that's another reason why his performance in Game 1 being tabbed the Game 1 starter is such a big deal. Now, in the end, what are the Dodgers looking to do? They're not looking to boost up Clayton Kershaw's resume. Certainly, it doesn't matter if the Dodgers win. Dodgers win themselves a World Series championship for the first time in 30 years. Nobody's going to be talking about how Clayton Kershaw pitched in Game 1. But losing Game 1 in Boston puts the Dodgers in a tough hole. And remember, the Los Angeles Dodgers are thought of in this series as being an underdog. They were not, they're not expected to win in this series. They're not in a position where people are going to be shocked if the, if the Boston Red Sox won, they're expected to win. And you look at the Dodgers and you look at a, a team that has done a very good job, got to the World Series last year, has won two straight NL pennants. Obviously, is one of the more storied franchises in the entire National League history. But here, here's, the, here's the issue. The Dodgers, 
at some point are going to need to look at themselves in a mirror and have some accountability for what has not worked. Now you could say, maybe you're talking about the New York Yankees of a series of years. And I, I bring up the early part of the 1960s when it comes to the New York Yankees. And you could also refer to the decade in the 1980s. You know, you start in 1960 where the Yankees lose that almost unprecedented World Series loss where they lost to that Pittsburgh Pirates team that on paper they were so much better than. They went out there and won the World Series again in 1961 and 1962, but lost the World Series in 1963 to the Los Angeles Dodgers. Lost the World Series the following year to the St. Louis Cardinals. So in a series of five years where the Yankees made it to the World Series, each one of those seasons, they lost three World Series. So the expectation was set up that the Yankees were not set to just get to the World Series. They were expected to win. And I think the same thing applies to the Los Angeles Dodgers where they stand right now. Now, I'll be the first to say that I don't believe that this particular Los Angeles Dodgers team is as strong as the team that made it to the World Series last year. They got some very different players. Of course, Manny Machado being in the mix. They may have a little more balance in regards to starting pitchers they could throw out there. Their bullpen may be a little bit better. They may, be, they may have some more versatility in regards to guys like Chris Taylor and Kike Hernandez and Max Muncie, guys that they can play in all different types of positions. I like the fact that Matt Kemp you know, had a home run yesterday. You know, here's a guy that's almost been forgotten about. He got up to a very good start for the Dodgers this year and, of course, was the Dodgers franchise player years ago when they ended up giving him a really long contract extension. That contract extension ends up seeing him traded to the San Diego Padres, traded from the San Diego Padres to the Atlanta Braves, and then traded again from the Atlanta Braves back to the Los Angeles Dodgers with, by the way, two more years left on said contract. But as much as I like the Dodgers, and I think that they are in a great position, they should be proud of themselves for getting themselves to two World Series in a row. They've had success over the past five, six years. But what have they not been able to attain? A World Series championship. And if you're going to compare that to the Yankees of, let's say, the 1960s, when they got to the World Series from 1960 through 1964, five straight years, and ended up winning two World Series, but lost three other World Series, the expectation was supposed to be that they were going to win more. And they didn't. So the Dodgers, if they don't come out of this with a World Series championship, this era, this run from 2013 to 2018 with the Dodgers winning the National League West each one of those seasons and getting themselves to the postseason every year is not going to be remembered in a positive way because it did not equal a World Series championship for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Is this World Series by any stretch of the imagination over? Of course not. You're talking about one game. The Dodgers could come back if they find a way to win game two. They got games three, four, and five at home. Hopefully the crowd brings some energy. And, you know, the discussion can be, hey, can the Dodgers put themselves in a position, perhaps going into a game six, maybe up three games to two. And if they could do that, I like their chances. But things got to go right. Because if you look at the talent on the other side of the field, which I'm going to talk about the talent on the other side of the field in a little bit as it pertains to the sport of football. When the talent on the other side of the field and the results on the other side of the field have kind of passed what it is that you're doing and you've done, you almost have to play a perfect game. You almost have to set yourself up to where very little things go wrong 
And if anything goes wrong, you're going to be put in a compromised position. Clayton Kershaw not having his best stuff or the Boston Red Sox getting to Clayton Kershaw early in that game made it single-handedly very difficult for the Dodgers to win. And, of course, the Eduardo Nunez three-run home run later on in the game makes it tougher for the Dodgers to come back. As we transition to football, I'm going to throw this out there. This copyright and broadcast is authorized under Internet rights granted by the World Wide Web and is solely for the entertainment of our audience. Any publication, reproduction, other use of the pictures, descriptions, and accounts of this show without the express written consent of the past ball show, JohnPielli.com and JohnPielli LLC is prohibited. Any commercial or other use of the program, such as by charging admission for its showing, is similarly prohibited. So you hear the story come out, and I tell you, I've always, a lot of people are a fan of TMZ, but I think TMZ as it stands in the country that we live in right now is perfect for that gossip and slander mentality that many people have, many people love, many people gravitate towards. When you think of the scenes from The Real Housewives, where you you bring grown women in there to pretty much pull each other's hair and have big, huge fights for large audiences, it kind of speaks to the generation of where we are in 2018. So you've got a place like TMZ, and they do really go out of their way to try to give the best reporting that they possibly can. But, you know, in a, in a world of competition, when you got people looking for the next story, competing with each other, competing with other networks, there's always the thought that somebody's going to go out there and try to do something over the top. Somebody's going to try to find something that is the best story that they could possibly find so they can put their own name behind it. So the latest in TMZ's reporting, which I certainly doesn't don't think helps their cause right here, is a situation that happened with Denver Broncos quarterback Chad Kelly. And anybody that doesn't know who Chad Kelly is, uh, will throw the guy's nephew into the I'm sorry, the guy's uncle into the conversation. Legendary Hall of Fame quarterback Jim Kelly. So Chad Kelly plays for the Denver Broncos. He was selected as the last pick in the 2017 draft by the Denver Broncos. Of course, that's referred to as Mr. Irrelevant, but it always, you know, it's always a wonder of, hey, in this entire draft, who exactly is the last pick they're going to be? Who is that person going to be? Are they going to be on an NFL roster once the next season starts? In about two or three years, are they going to even still be playing football? So Chad Kelly is sitting there pretty much holding the clipboard for the Denver Broncos and Case Keenum. The Broncos have a party, and apparently a cowboy-themed party, something that they've done for a series of years. Chad Kelly gets himself intoxicated, ends up showing up and walking into somebody's house and sitting on their couch. Uh, that person realizes that somebody's invading their home, or at least in a, in a home that they're not supposed to be in, attacks him, Chad Kelly gets arrested. Now, if you're going to report on those facts, I think you're doing a pretty good job. You're stating the facts of what happened or what allegedly happened, and you're, you're not really crossing the line. Now, TMZ decides to overdo it with their headline saying, Denver Broncos cocaine-themed party. First of all, if anybody, if any professional sports team or any organization that is, you know, number one, 
could be publicly traded. And number two is in the eyes of the general public, so their image matters. Who in their right mind would ever have a party that they're going to theme based off of cocaine? So TMZ, once again, going for the jugular, trying to make a story, which they had. It was a decent story up to a certain point. They're reporting facts. But then they got to go overboard. They got to throw that last thing in there to try to draw more headlines. As if the Denver Broncos are deciding in a party that obviously in 2018, anybody that's in a proximity to this party could pull out their phone and videotape it, are going to say their headlines, this is a cocaine themed party. And this is why I've said for the last couple of years that I've had it with reporting that's based off of nonsense. And in some other cases, is set to basically turn the story into something that it's not. And it bothers me because there's enough facts that exist when it comes to every individual situation. And you could talk about it. You could talk about Chad Kelly being a bad person. Maybe he is. And I think the fact that he ended up lasting all the way until the last pick of the NFL draft a couple of years ago was a sign that he may have not be considered the best person, which is fine. And if you want to focus it on Chad Kelly's mistakes, which, by the way, may get him completely out of the National Football League. And as we move on forward in the show today, we could talk about reasons, whether they're justified or not, that NFL teams or any professional sports teams for that matter can either employ somebody or not employ somebody. So if Chad Kelly can't keep himself out of trouble, that's only going to hurt Chad Kelly. Chad Kelly being on an NFL roster from a financial standpoint, you know, gives him the chance to build off of it and maybe get a chance to play in a game, which by the way, the Denver Broncos going nowhere this year. Case Keenum, yes, he's signed to a long-term contract, but I'm sure at some point this season, the Denver Broncos were thinking about going to look at Chad Kelly just for his genes, just for the fact that this guy is Jim Kelly's nephew. Maybe you put him on the field. The guy may be a complete jerk. The guy may have screwed up his entire life, and I don't know if he did or he didn't. Once again, this is all alleged information. Was he using drugs? Was he not using drugs? Did he come in to this person's house with the intention of trespassing? Or was he just that knocked out of his mind to a point where he just didn't know where he was? Obviously, in none of those situations is it right or correct. And certainly, I'm not sticking up for the guy. But when he got news medias out there, they're trying to top each other with the next story. And every single time it comes out there, they try to top the other story that's been out there. And TMZ thinking if they make the headline a cocaine-themed party by the Denver Broncos, it's going to draw a lot more national attention. Now, in order to do that, they'd have to make sure that they were 100% right with that reporting. Now, obviously, in 2018, the world that we live in right now, when the reporting is more about opinion than it is fact, TMZ can get away with doing what they're doing. 
I think that's a bad job by them. I think they could add just as good of a story, especially if they had an eyewitness of some of the things that they saw at this said party. They could have had a great story without going overboard and trying to go for the jugular. And, of course, they ended up doing it. Moving on, you got the New York football giants in a situation where they are looking, obviously, to rebuild. They're sitting here at 1-6. and six, And, obviously, nothing worth playing for this year. So you see the trade the other day of Eli Apple to the New Orleans Saints for a fourth-round draft pick and a seventh-round draft pick. And you knew it was going to kind of continue as you get close to the trading deadline. The Giants, listen, everybody has that dream if you're a fan. Obviously, if you're a player on that team, if you're Eli Manning, your goal is to go out there, prepare this team like it's going to go out there and win this week. And after this week, prepare the team as if it's going to go out there and win next week. And so on and so on and so forth. To get themselves from 1-6 and six to 2-6 and six to 3-6 and six to 4-6, and six, all of a sudden, they've won nine games in a row, they're 10-6, and six, and they're going into the playoffs. That's the dream scenario that any fan of the New York Football Giants would have, and obviously any player that's still playing for the New York Football Giants. But at some point, if you're Dave Gettleman, the general manager, if you're John Mara, the owner, and if you're anybody in between, you have to look at yourself in the mirror and see that your record is every single time, an indication of what kind of team you are. You are what your record says you are. If you're 6-1, and one, then you're a pretty good team. You may not necessarily have to have the talent to be a 6-1 and one team. But if you won 6 of 7 games, as we hit the halfway point here on the Pass Ball Show, just a reminder, programs brought to you by JohnPLA.com, as well as St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. Please, if you're interested, call show number 732-364-3598. So you are what your record says you are, not just in the National Football League, but any team sport where a record is relevant. Individual sports, you are as, as far as you progress. If you're a golfer, a professional golfer, you are as good as how many tournaments you win. And if you're playing in an individual tournament, you are as good as you end up finishing. You could say the best consensus golfer in the world could finish last in a major tournament. Doesn't make them a bad golfer, but for that particular tournament, does not make them very competitive. They can't stand there and say, hey, I'm the best golfer in the world when you finish last in a major tournament. So the Giants at 1-6 and six are doing some self-evaluation. They're realizing that, yes, yeah, there's a game next week and they could win that game. But the likeliness of this team going on a run and becoming a playoff team like they expected this year is not really there. So two things you decide to do here. You try to potentially get yourself better. It's hard to do it in the National Football League because there aren't too many younger players that are dealt. You got baseball. You got the whole prospect thing. Players playing in the minor leagues that are expected to be good in the future. And if you take some veteran players and you ship them out, you can get some younger players to maybe energize the fan base, make that fan base believe that, you know, there's going to be a good future, even though the present is not very good at this particular moment. In the NFL, it really is more about stockpiling draft picks. And I thought they did okay. I thought they did a good job when they made the trade of Eli Apple to the Saints. They got themselves a fourth-round draft pick next year, a seventh-round draft pick the year after that. Obviously not fitting for a guy who was a first-round draft pick himself not that long ago by the New York Giants, but it was a message. 
it was a message that, hey, we are looking to the future. Eli Apple, who within the last couple of years has not necessarily endeared himself to losing, and I don't expect any player to do that. I don't expect any player to be a good loser, but the more outspoken losers, and obviously not calling the person a loser, but the loser mentality that you have when you're a losing football team is something that any organization could deal without. So they get rid of Eli Apple. Now, the deal they made this morning for snack of Snacks Harrison to the Detroit Lions puzzled me a little bit. Puzzled me for this reason. Giants get themselves a fifth-round draft pick from the Detroit Lions. And I understand that Snacks Harrison's contract is getting shifted over to Detroit. The Giants have no, long, no longer have any payroll obligations to Snacks Harrison. But in a league that just watched Amari Cooper get traded to the Dallas Cowboys for a first-round draft pick, how could you settle for a fifth-round draft pick in return? Now, I understand the reason you trade a player like Snacks Harrison. He might be the best defensive player on the a, on a field. Him and Landon Collins you know, certainly stand out when it comes to the rest of the New York football Giants defense. But, you know, you could also refer to the great Ralph Kiner. And Ralph Kiner led the National League in home runs his first seven years of his career. The only person in baseball history to ever do that was a dominant player, was a star, got to date models. He was, uh, he was an icon of the city of Pittsburgh. The one thing that stood out, though, was the Pittsburgh Pirates for a series of years were not very good. And when Ralph Kiner was told that he was traded to the Chicago Cubs, the, the answer was pretty simple. We could finish last place without you. The same thing applies to Snacks Harrison. The same thing could even apply to Odell Beckham Jr. if you wanted to make the conversation go out and be that far. But, you know, when it comes down to getting proper value for a certain player, I believe the Giants should have asked for more. They should have, if the Detroit Lions were willing to make a trade, they should have said, hey, you know, we'll, we'll settle for a third round pick. We're aiming for a second round pick. And at least put out the competition out there to other teams. There's a handful of NFL teams that are right on the brink of being playoff bound teams. Teams that are in the mix. Teams that are competing for division titles. Teams as they're set up, they're in a position that they could make a run to the Super Bowl this year. There is no clear-cut favorite. You got the Kansas City Chiefs, obviously, off to a great start. You got the Patriots, who are the Patriots. You got the Philadelphia Eagles, who obviously are the Super Bowl champions until somebody beats them. But nobody's really standing out in the NFC. There's a great amount of teams, of the 32 NFL teams, that certainly are in a position where they can make a run. How many of them would benefit from a player like Snacks Harris? And if I'm Dave Gettleman and the New York Giants, I'm certainly going to be more aggressive when it comes to shopping a player like that and would probably not settle for a fifth-round draft pick because that's going to hurt you going forward. You trade one guy for a fourth and a seventh, and then you lower your standards for a better player going for just a fifth-round pick. What does that say about anybody else you may be interested in moving? Let's say Landon Collins is next. He could be. You know, let's say there, there's a there's a, another player that may have a little more value, maybe Olivier Vernon, 
do you decide that a fifth round pick is the absolute ceiling as far as what you're looking to trade for? And what's up, Keith? Roll Tide, man. Obviously, no, Keith's a big uh, Alabama Crimson Tide fan. As we move on in the program, probably later on in a week, we'll get into some more college football. But you know, it, it just it frustrates me when I when I see a team lowering their standards to a point where now the opposition has the advantage. Anybody that's looking to make a deal with the Giants not only know that they are open for business, but they're open for bargains. So what can you do on that roster to raid them and improve yourself? And I always say this when it comes to you know teams that are struggling. The good teams end up getting richer because the bad teams seem to all of a sudden be okay with giving away all their better players for lack of a return. The return doesn't matter. All of a sudden, it's like, let me just uh, alleviate the problem that you have here, which is a good player on a bad team, and replace them with, in the NFL's case, nothing but draft picks, but not even valuable draft picks, not even first and second and third round draft picks, just random draft picks that the other team seems to be willing to give up just so you can get rid of the player. Now, that other team benefits. That other team gets that player and becomes a better team because of it. Just a reminder, the Castrol provides maximum protection against viscosity and thermal breakdown. So the last thing we wanted to talk about today, you know, you had the situation last weekend or last Sunday with the Panthers playing the Eagles and obviously a little bit of a confrontation in the front of the football field between Eric Reed and Malcolm Jenkins, two players that for a while were on the same side in regards to the protest and the movement, which obviously was started by Colin Kaepernick and obviously deciding within it that their differences in opinion were enough that they could separate themselves from supporting the same cause. Now, the same cause is being supported, but in a couple different ways. And I think we could all agree that that's really what's going on here. The Players Coalition decides to reallocate $100 million, which was going to somewhere else, more towards the cause that these players were supporting in regards to police brutality and social issues that are going on that are, we could all agree also, that there is a lot of social injustice that goes on. So Malcolm Jenkins, who ends up pretty much being considered, at least by Eric Reed and some of those that are more that are more poignant in regards to their perspective on his situation, the Uncle Tom, per se, the sellout, the one that decides that he is going to almost turn heel on the cause that he is supporting. And I think that is a very big issue as we look at it right now. You know, Eric Reed, if you're going to take it a stance against Eric Reed, you may consider him maybe, you know, an angrier person in regards to his stance as he stands right now. He is not happy. Colin Kaepernick was a was a person that obviously was the main figure of this protest movement that has happened in the National Football League and obviously it has led to the National Anthem 
and people getting upset over that, and people saying that it has nothing to do with the national anthem. And then you could add the other crap in regards to the military, which, you know, the military in this particular instance is not the root of the problem. So are people protesting the military? Of course they're not. That was something that was just randomly thrown in there to back somebody else's narrative. So now you got Eric Reed and Malcolm Jenkins having a difference in opinion. Eric Reed is the one that actually had to suffer for a handful of months where he wasn't signed by an NFL team. He was reportedly blackballed. Teams would not sign him because of his stance on this particular issue. Malcolm Jenkins ends up becoming pretty much the player's liaison in trying to resolve this issue. And the NFL, I'm not going to give them any any positive vibes either because I don't think that they, they've had the right intentions of this issue from the beginning. But you also have a situation where you have players that are going to be obviously tougher when it comes to their stance in this. But I have to ask these same questions. Is it constructive to keep protesting on football fields and during the national anthem? And I've said all along, you, you make your case, you make your point, which we all have the right to do. When, when does it become unconstructive to continue to do so? Those protests, in my opinion, should be leading to more discussion. They should be leading to meetings with commissions of police departments throughout the country to talk about police brutality, to talk about racism, to talk about social injustice. But what have people done? They've switched that conversation to be a protest against the national anthem, in some cases against the military, and using football as an agenda or as a, as a reason to back a certain agenda. Once again, is it to protest or not to protest? The points made with the protest now, there is going to come a time where there's going to have to be more actions behind it. A guy like Chris Long has donated a lot of his money, some of his paychecks to help support this cause. But I do have to point out something. Colin Kaepernick is suing the National Football League. He's got a grievance against the National Football League. Now, Eric Reed calls Malcolm Jenkins a sellout essentially an Uncle Tom, for accepting the NFL's agreement that they're going to pass $100 million, which is going to be to support one cause, to support their cause. What is Colin Kaepernick filing a grievance against the National Football League for? Well, sure, he could win in a court of law, and that would be a big victory to back what it is that he's trying to back. But what do you win in a grievance? You win money. You're awarded money by the judge. So the money that Colin Kaepernick could be looking for from the National Football League in a grievance, what makes that money so much different than the money that the NFL 
and this players coalition are throwing in support of this cause. Is it about money or is it not about money? Once again, you could take whatever narrative that it is that you're trying to support and realize that there are many flaws on both sides of this issue. Is the National Football League the national anthem? And if anybody wants to throw the military in there as part of the discussion, is it the proper forum to address this particular issue? It probably isn't, but I'm sure it doesn't hurt. It's an issue that, let's be serious, many of us do not want to discuss. Many of us are afraid to discuss. And I said it in the early part of the show that anytime race is brought up, it's such a polarizing issue that you have somebody that is either tuning in because of what you're saying or happens to be tuned in at the moment, they're going to dissect every single word that you say. And when they dissect every single word that you say, it's going to be to back their own narrative. So they're already judgmental coming in based off of what you say. You're saying what they want you to say regardless of whether you say it. And I believe in this country. I believe in the people that are in this country. And we have the ability to be open-minded enough to listen to each other. We have an open-mindedness in us that we can be understanding to what somebody else is going through. And on a day where 46 years ago, Jackie Robinson who was considered one of the pioneers in the civil rights movement, passed away. He passed away on this day in 1972, just nine days after giving a speech in front of Game 1 of the World Series in Cincinnati, where he was referring to a black man being on a third-base coaching box and managing a Major League Baseball team, which was something that had never been done in baseball history before that. What happened a couple of years later with Frank Robinson, the Hall of Famer, no relation to Jackie, becomes the first black manager in Major League Baseball history. Are we at a point where we are better as a society than we were in, let's say, 1972? And that, once again, there's no definitive answer to that. That's part of the problem. You could say we've progressed. We could say certain things are better. We could say that social media as it exists right now is a very good way and a very good forum to expose people that have primitive views when it comes to race. Now, we understand that. We understand that years ago, people got away with saying a lot of things that they wouldn't get away with saying right now. But we we have to, as a society, start to progress. We have to get ourselves to a point where we're open-minded regardless of what it is that you look like and if somebody like me that looks like just a regular white person a regular white male could be judged for whatever you want to judge me for based off of the way i look the way i talk and the color of my skin you know judge people based off of what they say and their constructiveness to try to come to a solution of a problem. Because I think in our heart of hearts, when you take the best out of all of us, we all want the same thing. 
we all want the ability to live a, a, a life, a life where we cannot be bothered, where we can have the pursuit of anything that it is that we want to pursue and not have it matter based off of what we look like or are judged by other people. Because every single person, regardless of who they are, they're put into a group. Some people volunteer and stand out and want to say, hey, this is the group that I represent. But even for those that don't do that, you're put into a category and a group based off of what you look like. God didn't create anybody to be any different than anybody else. And whether you believe in God or not, there was a creation at some point. And you were put here, no matter what your differences are, you're not any better or any worse than anybody else. And we need to come to a point where we're more open-minded to talk about stuff like this. Somebody shouldn't have to be afraid to approach the issue of race. Just because there's a narrative that that person's going to be judged by the way that they look. The bottom line is we all, every single one of us, was created to be equal. And the only people that are out there that are ruining it is everybody else. And you want to you want to take responsibility off yourself? No, it's a it's a matter of each individual person taking enough share of the responsibility and understanding that that thought process that goes into people's heads when they want to judge somebody is wrong. And if you tell yourself that that thought process that you have is wrong enough. At some point, your brain is going to make a change. Your brain is going to have a different determination when it's telling you things. And once again, you have this thought process that you continue for years upon years upon years, doing the same thing the same way and expect to get different results. And my question is, why is there not more of a call out to people to unify, to be together, to accept each one of us as our own extended family. And once again, you, anybody that has kids, especially younger kids, you ever watch them play at the playground? You have many different kids that can't look any more different to each other. Do you think those kids are thinking that? you think they're pointing out the little differences that they have amongst each other? No, they just want to have a good time. But somewhere along the lines, those kids' parents are going to drill into them the narrative of what their difference is. And they're going to basically grow to be what their parents are. And at some point, the parents should stop with their own narratives that they have about different differences amongst people we're all going to have to deal with it regardless of what we look like regardless of where anybody is classified based off of the opinions of other people this is the past ball show brought to you by johnpielli.com as well as st aloysius church and school in jackson new jersey a little recap of the show today the world series clayton kershaw is he going to get a chance to redeem his bad performance in game one of the World Series this year, his bad performance 
in a big game in a World Series last year. We'll see how that happens. TMZ over the top with their cocaine party title on what happened in Denver and Chad Kelly. Snacks Harrison comparing him a little bit to Ralph Kiner. The New York football giants could finish last place without you. And obviously you heard my take on Eric Reed and Malcolm Jenkins. We'll be back with you tomorrow, maybe Friday. We'll see what ends up going on in a world of baseball, sports, and unified America. I do, as always, want to take the time to thank everybody that has tuned into the show. If you're listening to it for the first time, uh, we are on iTunes and Google Play. So you can find some of the archive shows, especially the most recent ones. Um, got a YouTube channel. So there's plenty of different ways if you're interested in interacting with the show. So glad to have everybody. As always, we'll be back with you soon. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.